0: Welcome to Connection Preview Podcasts. We're delighted today to welcome Martin Lipton. Martin has been a journalist since 1988 and is now in his 23rd year working for a national newspaper. He was previously Chief Sport Reporter at the Daily Mail and spent 12 years as Chief Football Writer on the Daily Mirror. Martin joined The Sun as Deputy Sports Editor in 2014, but is now Chief Sport Reporter, a role he has filled for over two years. He's a regular broadcaster on both television and radio, including the front-page paper review of the BBC News Channel. Martin is also a fantastic author. Hi, Martin. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: That's a pleasure. It okay. really is. Looking oh,
0: forward to it. I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, I've got to say, I'm not going to be on my own today. I've got a co-host. Uh, Paul is just going to be asking quite a few questions um I think he was yeah, he was curious to to get to know you a bit better. So uh, <laughs> lots of questions from us both. But thanks, thanks, thanks very much. So how are you coping at the moment?
1: Oh, it's tough, isn't it, actually? Oh. We're into sort of week four or five now of of living from home and popping out for an hour maximum a day. Which is which is quite tough. I mean I, I've worked from home for most of my career. Oh
0: do you? So okay. that
1: in itself isn't a problem. Uh, And apart from uh, a three year gap between 2014 and 17, I've basically worked from home since 2002. Um, So I can cope with that. It's part of my normal uh, routine, albeit without the travel that I used to do a lot. And I was popping in and out of, of Europe. I had plans this summer to spend three weeks in Germany, uh, uh, a bit oh of time no. in Russia, and then go to Tokyo for three and a half weeks. So that's somewhat uh, out of the window. Oh, bless. Um, but the work side of it is just finding a way of of, of doing it. Whilst, you know, I've got a house full of, of you know, of two kids at 10 and 14. Yes, My no, wife's no. working from home as well. Um, thankfully, we've got a big enough downstairs kitchen area where we can all work together. Yeah. Um, and we've got the dog to look after, which is probably the hardest part of all. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, hi, Martin.
2: Uh, just a quick one. Have you got um, so have you got quite a decent studio set up at home or or an office? Because I I hear you a lot on the radio and um, seems to work quite well.
1: Um, I had an office and then my daughter commandeered it. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually working from the kitchen. Um, one of the things my career has been covering sport worldwide. Yes. which means working in stadiums with 70, 80, 100,000 people screaming mm-hmm. and working live, I've learned to block out the sound. <laughs> I don't hear extraneous noise when I'm working. Mm-hmm. I just hear what I, need to, what I need to hear and see what I need to see. So in that regard, it's not a, a big problem. And I can be taking a phone call and working and writing whilst things are going on around me, because that's been my life for mm-hmm. most of my career. I've been able to just find a way of, of concentrating on what's important and com- compartmentalising in the moment what I need to do.
2: Yeah, that must be a, a really useful skill at the moment. I have to say, I get distracted by, by anything. So, um, <laughs> I think you've um, you, you you've you've used your your um, skill wisely. It's coming into its own right now. So, well done for that.
0: How did you get into journalism, actually, Martin?
1: Um. I couldn't think of anything I actually wanted to do. Um, I, I, a long, long time ago, when I was young, I, I, my ambition was to get into politics. And I right. thought that journalism might be a way into, into politics because a lot of uh, politicians have been involved in journalism. Mm-hmm. And I was initially a news journalist. I was working um, for four years up in Yorkshire uh, doing court and council reporting during right. the week and then doing sport at weekends. Right. But, News journalism is pretty hard. And the court and council stuff is doable. It's the hardest part of the job is knocking on doors of people who've been bereaved and asking for pictures of their dead kids and things like that. And to keep doing that, because it's part of the job, you have to lose some of your humanity. You can't take it seriously because otherwise you wouldn't do it because you're intruding on on such private grief. And after a while I thought, you know what? I've got two options here. Either I keep doing this. And basically don't take people's tragedies seriously. Yeah. Or I do sport, which is basically frivolous and harmless <laughs> and pretend it matters. And based, And so from 1993, I've been a full-time sports reporter. Mm. Um, and it's given me a lifestyle uh, and, and an experience, range of experiences, which I could never have imagined. I've been incredibly fortunate over yeah. the last 30 years. So what's,
0: um, a, what's a typical day for you at the moment? Well, not at the moment, actually. Let's put this period of time, actually. Uh, well, not yeah, talk
1: about I it. mean, it would depend whether I was on the, on, on the way to somewhere or not. If I was working from home, I would get up 8-ish, eight-ish, 7.30, 8-ish, eight-ish, something like that, unless it was uh, doing a radio interview, which I do a lot of those, and I might have to be in the studio for 6.30. Right. Um, so I got a cab to pick me up to take me to the studio at, at uh, 6.00. Um, um, which is what i 've been doing for you know three or four years regularly doing those those um those interview shifts, which I quite enjoy, I have to say mm-hmm. so then i 'd be home obviously the kids wouldn't be here normally they 'd be at school i 'd be ringing my desk sometime between nine and nine fifteen you know the whoever the news editor is, talk about what we 're going to do in the day, anything i 've got already in my in my books to write up, any ideas we have i 'd be writing for the internet during the morning mainly uh, up until you know, midday one o'clock and then if anything breaks during the day I'd be writing for the internet to get the quick piece up but yes. then I tend to sort of move to a newspaper focus in the afternoon right and okay. often between four and six p.m are the busiest parts of any journalist day because things start to change and any ideas you had at nine o'clock which you have to have a schedule is when I was in the office, I used to present the schedule list to the to the editor and explain what stories we were going to run. You're and right. the stories are going to run at eleven, twelve o'clock. Many of them disappear by five o'clock because the world it. has moved on. It's a very evolving well, industry. Yes, and and, and football sport is particularly something that can change with the drop of a hat. So the busy period tends to be between four and six, six thirty. Mm-hmm. But it could go on till ten thirty, eleven, twelve o'clock at night if it's a, a, a breaking story and an evolving story. There's no End to the day. Yeah, the media never stops. Mm. You look. There are there are times when I put my put my laptop down, as it were, shut it. But it's always until the next phone call comes because that's it. But during the day, I will be ringing people, being other journalists, because a lot of it is working together on stories to try and piecemeal jigsaw puzzle stories that are evolving. Talking to the the people I need to talk to now. It used to be that I would talk to managers and players. I don't anymore. It's not part of my role. My role is chief sports reporter. So I talk to the governing bodies. I talk to chief executive of clubs and and organisations. Um, I try to find out what's going on. I have you know people I know at FIFA and UEFA and at the Premier League and the uh, Football League and the FA, uh, various clubs that I'm, I'm I get to I know quite well. Other clubs I know less well. You 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 use your your contact base. You, You're spending your time talking to the people you know, Mm. and one of the things about about that is that you don't know them over a period of days, or even weeks, or even months. You get to know people over a period of years, and you often have to have a row with someone to get on with them. You have to have a dispute, and and a a recognition from both parties that you're being professional and that Mm -hmm. the dispute you have is not personal. To build a personal relationship.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I mean uh, it's, it's a good transition because, as you know, this uh, this podcast is all about the power of networking and human connection um and you know you i was i was about to ask you how you how do you network you seem to be talking to a lot you interview lots of people over the phone or face to face skype whatever you're doing nowadays um how do you keep in touch what's your way do you have a routine you you place a few calls or do you go to classic networking event in the evenings where you mingle and get to know new people
1: you have to do that as well i mean i've i have, obviously that's rather off the agenda at the moment um, i'd go to a lot of when there's announcements of, of, issue, of things that, that, hey, the rugby football union have a, an announcement about the coach, I might go yes. along not to talk to the coach, but to talk to the people who are standing around, to tr- introduce myself to them, to try and get a bit of information going forward. Uh, whether that, that could be go to the LTA or, uh, or, to, or to the All England Club at Wimbledon, which obviously for me is, is pretty adjacent. I can walk down the road. I go mm-hmm. to meetings, you know, England squad announcements. I won't be writing the squad announcement. I'll be talking to the people who are, who are standing at the back of the room, who are watching, to find out if they can feed me information. That's, that's part of it. You, you know, some people you've known for a long time, others for, for, for less time. But you're yes. always trying to, to, to broaden your contact base uh, and accepting that it's a long game. You may not get anything from them for 6, 8, 12, 18 months. But if mm. you start to know them, then you've got more chance of getting something from them. And also, you fall in and fall out with people. That's part of, of it, that you write something they don't like, they come back to you. For a while, they might not want to talk to you. And then mm. you write something else that they do like, and suddenly they'll talk to you. It's it's part of the game.
0: No, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I agree. I mean, yesterday, we've had some, uh, well, over the past uh, weeks of this show, we've had uh, guests giving us their advice on when you network, you know, you've got to give people a chance. Uh, you've got to keep talking to everyone. Um, and, and I think it's always valuable to hear to hear what you think as well. And this is exactly what this show is all about. Um, tell me, how do you um you know, I know you went to a couple of events with with Paul. You had a few of networking events together, didn't you? Yeah,
2: Martin, thanks for uh we were, I was discussing with Clem the other day about um networking events and how sometimes they can be a bit of a dry affair with um <laughs> a speaker that will try and shoehorn their experience into uh, a business life, for example. And um, you kindly accepted the offer of, um, of being the, a the wine was speaker. good <laughs> and the food was yes. good. and the company was <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, they won't mind me saying that the audience is um, uh, perhaps quite a male dominated older um, audience but I think the fact was, rather than have people talk about business and talk about real estate or finance, you came in and talked about something that, frankly, most people in the room would love to have done as their career, of watching and writing about sport. Um, so there seems to be a key component which breaks down barriers when you talk about sport. Do you
1: find that? Odd, or, yeah, look, sport I mean- is m- most People, most blokes particularly, but most people like sport, like watching sport. Not all sport, but certain events. You know, we would have had the Olympic Games this summer. Everyone watches the Olympic Games. Everyone has a view. When England playing a tournament, Euro 2020 was due to take place, the whole country would have been watching. Look at the audience figures for the Women's World Cup last summer. Mm. 13, 14, 15 million on the BBC watching England women's football. And it was brilliant. I was out there for the month and it was fantastic. And I really enjoyed it. And again, I got to know some new people, journalists, uh, administrators, players I didn't really know before. And that was great because it's given me another range of contacts and a a whole new sort of slate of people I can go to who I didn't know. Because sport is a unifier in many, many ways. And yes, there's always club allegiances which colour it to a degree. But national sporting events are national events. Yes. We would have had, you know, if England had done do well in the Euros next summer now, but whenever it is, and get to the semi final mm. and final, there'll be thirty million people watching the game. That's half the country, mm. and if you take mm. out Scotland, it's you know three quarters of a country. And yes. um, because it is something that everyone can talk about, it, it will be the conversation in the bars, in the offices. If we get back to working in in offices, in the shops, yes. everyone. The flags will be out. It is a national moment. And I'm very privileged that I'm sort of part of that moment and have been for, for the best part of thirty years. Yes. Do, do you? Um. One
2: thing I was wanting to ask is, when you are at these events with, to to Clem and I are quite famous people. Does that make you nervous at all? Do you you have to mingle with some quite high profile names? How do you overcome that sort of
1: hurdle? It's just something that you do. I was really privileged. Um, a couple of months ago, I was at the Laurier Sports Awards in Berlin, which was one of the last big events before the the shutdown. And I went into a room in Berlin, and it was like all of my childhood memories being brought uh-huh. to life in front of me. So that's Mark Spitz, that's Franz Klammer, right. that's Michael Johnson, that's Chris Hoy, that's Nadia Comaneci. It was it was this. Steve War, it was who? just incredible, and I worked went around the room just talking Ed Moses and all these great athletes from a variety of sports that I've Daley Thompson, who I've been who I watched as a kid. I remember yes. being in awe of what they did, and they're sitting in the room waiting for me to come and talk to them, and it was just fantastic. I really loved it, but more often than not, I'm going to meet people whom I've known for a long time. You know, David Beckham. I remember when he was nineteen twenty. We've known each other for over twenty-five years. The same with you know the Neville brothers and, and other mm. sports people. Sol Campbell, I've known since he was seventeen. You yes. you get so they're not names. You know, Frank Lampard I've known for over twenty years. They are people I know and we've we've had a relationship. You know, they may not have liked me but they've known mm. me and they've talked to me and we're on first name terms because I we be, always be have lovely been.
0: I'd be gladly coming to your next dinner party, Martin. <laughs> you don't want to, <laughs> don't want to cross the line, do you? That's there. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the wine, absolutely, to entertain. Some pretty big names there. Um, and, and along these lines, so I guess you've known all of these uh, fantastic uh, players around the world. They've, they, you've perhaps got their uh, phone number on your, on your cell phone. Um, amongst all of these guests, what was the most fascinating interview you've ever given and the, the best piece of uh, article that you've delivered and you're still very proud of today. The
1: best interview I ever did was because it was so unexpected and it was a player who never did anything. It was a, a, a chap called Mohamed Konyik who played for Coventry. And this was mm-hmm. He made his debut about 20 years ago and he comes out and I said, look, let's have a chat see if he wants to talk. This new kid who played centre half wasn't very good but it's a new name. And I said to him, hello, Mohamed, can you just tell us your story? And he says, yes. Um, so I was, I, I was in my, uh, my home in, uh, in Bosnia and the Serbs came and they shot all of my family. And okay. I cowered away and I hid away in a, in a bunker to try and stay safe. And the, the only option you had to survive was to drink. And I drank and mm. I drank and I drank. Blimey, that's a bit yes and then um so me and my friend um we decided we would try to to get out so there was a car we managed to get a car and we tried to drive across the mountains uh, and it was a bad road and we i missed the road and we went down the mountain and and my friend died but but Blimey. Blimey, yes, that- so i got to to switzerland and i was playing in in switzerland and um the other player said, "What's wrong with you? You're a, you're a big man and you should be strong. And but when you jump, you show there's no power. You you can't you know you the defend the the attackers are too strong for you. And why is that? And I said I had to tell them that both my arms were still broken. Oh and no! And it's like Gosh, And this is absolute matter of fact interview out of nowhere. And it it will always live with me because it was one yes. of the most remarkable things I've. I've ever heard from someone, and mm. I'll never, I never want to forget it because it reminded me that behind all the money and the stardom and everything else are human beings, many of whom make enormous sacrifices to achieve even modest careers. Um, mm. And that was just one of those things that I, I said I'll, I'll never forget it. And I've spoken to lots no, of I mean... big names. I've had, you know, I've had massive rows with England managers. It's what you do. Um, I've had issue. You know, I used to. There was a period at, uh, when Mourinho was at Chelsea where he wouldn't do the press conference unless I sat in the specific chair next to him. It was this bonkers thing where I mm. I had to sit in this chair, and it was it lasted for about two years. It was really strange, and then they moved the venue and I didn't have to sit in the chair anymore. But it, so, so there are odd things that take place in you know that you remember. But the Cognac interview, without question, was the most eye opening thing I've ever done.
0: Wow, wow. so how do you keep sane well i guess i guess you've got to deal with the upside down of, of various um, player coaches and all the people you're interviewing um you are speaking to so many people on a day-to-day basis what's your what's your secret of um keeping safe and sane and, and mindfulness Again, well it is
1: only sport that's the one thing you can always remind yourself is you know if the if the biggest problem is the ingo manager doesn't like you well so be it you know it's not going to kill me. Um, if it and if it does, I've got a hell of a story. So, <laughs> what, what's the what's yeah, the worst true. thing that can happen if you've got a row with a manager? He hits you. That's yeah. the best thing that can happen because he's yeah. then indebted to you forever. If you don't write about it, and if you do write about it, he's sacked. <laughs> so it's like you can't lose. Uh, put it in perspective. <laughs> Just put it in perspective. Um, I got I come home, and I've got uh, yes. you know, now thankfully a wife and and two kids that's the most important thing the work allows me to have the life I lead I don't want to be defined by the job I do or by work even though I put my full endeavor into it and you know the accusation and criticism is that I don't switch off enough and I'll accept that but that's the, the nature of the of the job I've chosen to do But the important Mm -hmm. things are the things that matter. You know, me being able to cook the roast dinner on a Sunday is really important. Yeah, me being able to go to the park with the kids is really important. Me being able to—I don't buy a paper when I'm on holiday because I just want to have two weeks with no newspapers because my life is spent reading newspapers. Making sure that when we do things, we have—you know—we we we spend days out, which are event days when we can, and even if it's only going to you know, the Surrey Hills and walking for three hours around, around there and, 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 you know, taking photos of my daughter running away from the cows, whatever it might be. It's about being able to strike the balance between work and, and life. And you've got to do that. If you don't, you're, you end up in a, in a desiccated hulk of a human being. And I never want to be that. Mm. No, I
2: quite agree. And I think, um, especially at this moment, Martin, with the continued lockdown and restrictions of, of movement, how are you staying healthy, both physically and mentally?
1: Um, well, I'm getting that only, only for an hour a day. Um, yesterday, no, the day before yesterday, it was a run with Emma, uh, who just ran me into the ground, absolutely destroyed me, which is brilliant. She's, she's pretty fit. And I've I've definitely lost a bit of condition over the last few weeks. Now, I was struggling anyhow. Then I had... Uh, a form of the virus or a virus—I don't know which one it was—but I suspect it was the, mm. a version of, of, of um, COVID-19, which was relatively mild. But it's certainly taken its toll on my um, my breathing capacity. Actually, I feel I like haven't got the same uh, amount of air in my lungs that I had before. And I'm getting a bit... really? so it's, it's minor, and I've been lucky. But it's great fun mm. to run. But often I just go down to the to the field with with Ollie, who's ten, kick a ball around, get the dog to chase the ball. Um, I've got a couple of football exercises. Ollie's a massive football fan uh, and, and player, loves it, and he's pretty—he's a far better player already than I'll ever be. Uh, and I'm—I'm mm-hmm. I'm working on him, trying to improve him uh, by doing some exercises because I—I know how to get things, you know, things I can do with him to sharpen him up in terms of finishing free kicks, those sort of things. Because I'm yes. big, I'm bigger than these normal goalkeepers, even though I'm old and not very athletic. It's harder for him to score, and it would be against okay. a ten-year-old. So therefore, I can, yes. you know, I can, I, I, I'm pushing him, and I really enjoy that. It's great, and it's, it's that's keeping my mind active when I'm, when I'm not working, with, which is good. You have to switch off as well. So you know, watch a box set just to calm down. Um, when you mm. can do the cooking, because cooking is actually, I always, I'm very therapeutic. But you also got to make sure that between, you know, if, if a wife's doing things, I've got to sort out the, the washing. It's got to be done. 'Cause otherwise it doesn't get done. You know, those sort yeah. of things are really important to, to keep the family life ongoing and secure without it becoming a total car crash, which it which it could do quite easy if you get if you if you get lazy and don't do things. It's suddenly you're overwhelmed by by what you're by how far behind you are.
0: Well, fair enough. And do do you keep some free time at the moment to perhaps plan a new book? Oh, I
1: haven't got time for that. <laughs> I, I look, ah. if, if if one came came along, I'd definitely do it. Um, but at the moment, I've not got a, an offer on the table. I've got. A, I do have an agent okay. who sort okay. of comes to me occasionally. So we'll see if and if when he does. At the moment, I've no idea what the book market is. I suspect there's a, a there's a market for escapist fiction rather than sports books. But we'll. We'll
2: see. Yes, <laughs> yeah. We should say for the audience that um, Martin is a published author with um, White Hart Lane: The Spurs Glory Years, which is still available for all good bookshops and a few bad ones, ones. I
1: hope exactly. <laughs> um,
2: along a similar theme, are you reading anything at the moment? I'm
1: reading a lot, um, but fiction. I have to say, um, just going through books on the Kindle. I've always I, I love Kindle because you can just take ten books. And it doesn't weigh anything, yes. um, which is great. So I just, But they're just escapist fiction. I've, read, I've got quite a couple of football books I need to read because I'm on the, the judging panel for the football book of the year. So I've got a couple of them I need to get through, um, which okay. is which is quite fun as well. But I, I, at times like this, you want to just a bit of a break. bit yeah. of light relief by yeah.
2: the sounds of it.
1: But it's OK. I could be a lot worse. Hell, I'm, 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 I'm very fortunate. I don't pretend otherwise. And, you know... Quite a lot of journalists, particularly in regional papers, have already been furloughed. Uh, and on some of the national papers, there's issues elsewhere. Thus far, um, this may change by the time this goes out, of course. That hasn't happened um, at my paper. And, uh, and I'm, I'm still on, 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 my, on my money. So, I mean, I've, I've been very lucky. No, it's good.
0: What's a a quick one actually about that? As you know, I run a a PR company as well. What's your in a few words? Because I know we could we can talk about it for hours. But um, the landscape of the media—do you think there's going to be a massive change on the when this is over? I think there'll be fewer
1: journalists employed. I think the Mm. I think remote working will become the norm as opposed to that the the job of the select few. I mean, I've been I said I've worked from home, but most people don't. Now they are working from home. That includes the production editors and the sub-editors, all of the sort of um, production journalists who previously had to be in the office because it couldn't be done from mm. home. And now saying, well, clearly it can be done from home. So I think that that will be, there'll be a, a lot more remote working. I think there'll be fewer jobs, unfortunately, as a necessity mm. because cut, people are going to have to cut their uh, their outgoings for a good two or three years, I suspect. And I'm not sure that in an industry, particularly print journalism, where you know, the market is in is in steady decline, that there's ever going to be an expansion of, 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 of appointments going forward. I think we're going to end up just fewer and fewer people producing uh, the papers every day. And there is a genuine chance that a, a few regional papers will disappear. And even perhaps one or two of the national titles might go. We've got a very vibrant national um, market still, you know, five tabloids and and four broadsheets I'm not convinced that all of them will come out of this they may not go down in the immediate six months but in 18 months time I'll be surprised if all of those titles still exist and I hope they do because these are good people working really hard um, and great journalists but I I do fear that there will be some casualties
0: yes yeah it's it's very difficult time isn't it Oh, dear. Well, we'll see how we all get out of it. Um, one but not least, do you have any advice about networking that you would like to share before we close I, the
1: podcast? I you've always got to be willing to meet new people and not be worried about what they think about you, because you don't know what they're going to think. You've got to move beyond your comfort zone as well, go into areas where you don't know them you may not i i've been doing interviews uh, for some of the olympic sports Am I open and my opening line is look i'm going to ask you a stupid some stupid questions because i genuinely don't know the art uh, don't don't know but i've got to ask the questions yes and if you're upfront and honest i think people will accept that rather than you trying to blag your way and bluff and pretend you know something when it's clear that you don't mm-hmm. so be upfront about about your limitations because if you are then you they you'll find out because most people actually want to help if they can help you, they will, because most people are decent decent people and actually recognize that there's nothing to lose by being nice, by being helpful. And they can give you information. They can point you in the right direction. Be willing to ask people for help. It's really important. Yes. Don't be too proud to admit that you don't know something. Um, and then keep trying. You've got to work hard at it. You can't just make one phone call and assume that that's it. You've got to keep on going back. And if, it's, if you're not phoning them every day, don't do that because they'll be frustrated and irritated by content. But send an email every couple of weeks just to say, hi, how are you doing, whatever it might be. Those sort of things begin to build the relationship because also at the moment, most people are at home. They're not in the situation when they've got a thousand meetings every week and flying hither, thither and yon to see people all around the world. Everyone's stuck in their front rooms or back rooms or offices. They're probably actually more accessible mm. now than they've ever been. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's some good advice.
0: That's a very good advice. Thanks right. so much, Martin. It's been, uh, it's been an absolutely pleasure, uh, as usual, to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time, because I know you're about to go recording again. Uh, many, many thanks. And uh, we hope to see you physically again so. very Take soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again.
2: Thanks, Martin.